Turn over with me to Deuteronomy chapter 3. Deuteronomy chapter number 3. I'm not going to keep you for a real long time tonight. But I do want to give you something tonight that, that the Lord uh, put on my heart. I think the Lord gave me uh, this text for this evening. I think there's someone in here tonight that, that can profit from the text that we're going to look at here in Deuteronomy chapter number three. If, if you're doing the, the Bible reading plan with the church, and I, I hope you are, then you found yourself this morning in Deuteronomy chapter number three. And uh, if you found yourself in Deuteronomy chapter number three this morning, that means you left the book of Numbers yesterday. Can I get a witness? I mean, there's one or two spots in the book of Numbers that I like to camp down in, no pun intended. One or two spots. But, but other than that, I, I just, I really like to kind of blaze through the book of Numbers. And uh, we're in the book of Deuteronomy. And Deuteronomy is, is all about getting God's people ready to go into the promised land. This promised land has, has almost been a rumor of sorts up to this point as, as they have been so close, but because of the disobedience of God's people, they were not allowed to go in. Well, now the time is coming. Israel is knocking on the door. They are getting ready to go in. Preparations are being made. And we'll see that next month as we jump into the book of Joshua. And, and if you're not in the Bible reading plan yet, it's March, it's not too late. The beauty of this Bible reading plan is it gives you 65 makeup days a year. And so just, just jump in. Jump in. It, you don't even have to start in Genesis. Jump in tomorrow in Deuteronomy 4 or, or Matthew 26 or Romans chapter 10 or Psalm 62. Just jump in at one of those spots and, and start reading with us. I would encourage you, encourage you to do that. In our first uh, City League game of the season... City League is, is uh, what Carla Develin knows as town team. It's what she calls it, town team. City League uh, is, is, is where we, uh, a bunch of has-beens, we, we gather and we play basketball uh, under the umbrella of, of just exercise, really is what it is, a bunch of has-beens, getting an hour long of exercise. And, and to some people, uh, City League can't just be City League. It has to be more than that. Every game has to be game seven of the NBA Finals, and the NBA Finals MVP is on the uh, uh, ledge there for the taking. So, so it, it's a very serious thing. And first game, surprise, surprise, I, I made the, the foolish mistake of running my mouth uh, during a basketball game. And uh, what specifically it was is, is basically one guy was upset, and, and I tried to take the high road and say something along the lines of, come on, man, calm down. It's just City League. To which he replied, I'm not here for no participation trophy. And so I barked back a little bit. I don't remember exactly what I said. To which he replied, well, next time we play, I guarantee you, you're not going to shoot like this. We're, we're, you're not going to shoot. We're not going to run a zone. We've got half of our team here. You're not going to shoot like this. We're going to put a man on you. I said, dude, anytime I'm on the court with you, I'll shoot like this. Buddy. I got in my car, honest, honest to goodness truth, I got in my car that evening and, and I felt so 
stupid. Here's fat mouth Tanner going at it again, running his mouth again. And, and if I'm lying, I'm dying. I preached to myself all the way home. I, 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 I told myself how dumb I was for running my mouth. And I repented, confessed my sin to the Lord. And for the most part, I would say in large, been, been pretty decent at keeping my mouth under control. But I knew we were going to play them again. And I knew it wasn't going to go good. So this last Monday night comes around. And uh, I don't know, we, we got some teammates here. I would say maybe one for 15 from the field I was. Three points, absolutely shut down. They trash talked me like a dog all game long. And I said not one word. Why? Because I had it coming to me. Man, it, that's a bummer. The, the, the consequences... Of our sin, and, and even, that's what it was, by the way. Pride, Proverbs 16, 18, if you read a proverb a day, you read that this morning. Pride goeth before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. Pride, sin. So you see, your, your sin, what it does is it has consequences. And oftentimes throughout life, you have painful reminders about your sin. Monday was a painful reminder about my pride. Isn't it true? Isn't it true, church family, that we can't always escape the sins of our past? Isn't that true? Not only can we not escape them, we we can't escape their consequences at times, and we certainly can't escape the reminders of our sin at times. Here's here's my purpose for tonight. With all of that being said... I'm laying out this fact that we we cannot escape our consequences of our sin and even painful reminders of our sin. But what's my purpose here tonight? My purpose in preaching this message tonight is that you would leave extremely encouraged. So I'm going to give you some really bad news up front, but I'm going to give you some, there goes the battery, some really good news on the back end of this sermon. I, I just want you to leave encouraged and loving the Lord more than you did before you walked in. Is that fair? So here's, here's what we're going to do. We're going to ask this question. What sort of hope is there for people who carry around baggage of past sin? What kind of hope is there? Pondering through that question right now in your mind, you're meditating on that, that question. What kind of hope is there for people who are carrying around baggage of past sin? My first point tonight is this. It's just the truth. We may not always be able to escape the consequences or reminders of our past sins. Look at Deuteronomy chapter number 3. Deuteronomy 3 verse 21 says this. And I commanded Joshua at that time, saying, Thine eyes have seen all that the Lord your God hath done unto these two kings. So shall the Lord do unto all the kingdoms whither thou passest. You shall not fear them. For the Lord your God, he shall fight for you. And at first glance of this text, you're probably thinking, there's not really anything discouraging about this. This is encouraging. Moses is giving Joshua a charge. He's setting him up for success. He is is giving him courage. And that truly is what Moses is doing here. Moses is encouraging Joshua... That what he just witnessed God do to Sihon, the king of uh, Heshbon, and Og, the king of Bashan, he said this. 
What you just saw God do to those two kings, God will do for you to any king that comes in your way, Joshua. Whatever kingdom you go through, whatever kingdom you pass, whoever wants to step to you, Joshua, what you just saw God do to these two kings, he will do for you. So, Joshua, as you get ready to go into the land, do not fear. Have confidence. God's going to go with you and he's going to fight on your behalf. One commentator said this. Remembering God's past faithfulness is key to present and future victory. Now that's a, that's a sentence worth jotting down. Remembering God's past faithfulness, what he's done in the past, is key to present and future victory. I was in my devotions this morning reading Psalm 22 and it was much like the Psalm that David preached from on Sunday night. It opened up like this. Why have you forsaken me, O God? Does that sound familiar? That's what Jesus cried out as he was hanging on a cross. In Psalm 22, David cries out and says, Why have you forsaken me, O God? I don't feel like you're near. I don't feel like you hear me. I don't feel like you're responding to me right now. Oh God, why have you forsaken me? But then you know what David did? He started talking about God's faithfulness in their past. He started reminiscing about how God had been faithful to the fathers of Israel before him. And you know what that led him to do at the end of the psalm? Praise. Praise. Why? Because his own circumstances might have been bleak in the moment. But what he knew is that he had a God who has been faithful in the past and will be faithful in the future. But you don't know he's going to be faithful in the future until you know he's been faithful in the past. Joshua and the Israelites, they certainly wouldn't have the red carpet rolled out for them when they went into the land of Canaan, would they? But Moses encouraged Joshua by reassuring him of God's presence and his willingness to fight on their behalf. So here's here's Moses' message to Joshua. Don't fear. God's going to be with you and he's going to fight for you. Okay, let's get to some discouragement here. There's too much encouragement going on. Deuteronomy 3.23. Look at it with me. And I besought the Lord at that time, saying this, O Lord God, thou hast begun to show thy servant thy greatness and thy mighty hand. For what God is there in heaven or in earth that can do according to thy works and according to thy might, I pray thee, let me go over. And see the good land that is beyond Jordan, that goodly mountain in Lebanon. Moses just got to see God's power. Think about this now. Moses just got to see God's power. Moses once again got to see a glimpse of what God is capable of doing on the behalf of his people. And God, or Moses rather, knowing the merciful and gracious God that he has besought him one last time. To do what? To let him go into the land. Now wait a minute. Why is Moses not going into the land? What do you, why is he praying to go? They're headed to the land. Why in the world is Moses not going into the land? Flip over to Numbers 12. I want you to see this. Or Numbers 20 rather. I want you to see this. Numbers chapter 20. If you're wondering right now, why in the world is Moses praying to God? God, I've seen your power. 
I know your power. God, there's no one like you. Please, God, please let us go. Let me go into the land. Here's why he's praying that prayer. Look at verse one in Numbers 20. Then came the whole, the children of Israel, even the whole congregation into the desert of Zin in the first month. And the people abode in Kadesh and Miriam died there and was buried there. And there was no water for the congregation. And they gathered themselves together against Moses and against Aaron. This is a typical scene, right? The people of Israel always gathering themselves together and, and, and coming to Joshua or, or Moses and Aaron rather and making accusation. Look at verse 3. And the people chode with Moses and spake saying, Would God that we had died when our brethren died before the Lord? And why have you brought up the congregation of the Lord into this wilderness that we and our cattle should die there? And wherefore have you made us to come up out of Egypt to bring us into this evil place? It is no place of seed or of figs or of vines or of pomegranates. Neither is there any water to drink. Do you hear them complaining? I don't understand these people. They literally walked through two mountains of water escaping Egyptians. Why could God not provide water now? I don't get it. But, but here we go. Verse 6, And Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And they fell upon their faces, and the glory of the Lord appeared unto them. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Take the rod and gather the assembly together, thou and Aaron thy brother, and speak ye unto the rock before their eyes. And it shall give forth his water. And thou shalt bring forth to them water out of the rock, so thou shalt give the congregation and their beasts drink. Okay, so Moses and Aaron, they go to God. They, they bring this to his uh, 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 um, uh, attention. And here's what he says. You're just going to gonna go, you're going to speak water out of a rock. In front of the eyes of all the people of Israel. This is what you're going to do, fellas. And Moses took the rod, verse 9. From before the Lord as he commanded him. And Moses and Aaron gathered the congregation together before the rock and said unto them, Hear now, you rebels, must we fetch you water out of this rock? You see what's going on now? Hold up, hold up. What did, what did God say? I, I like to think this might have been the tone that God said. Take the rod, gather thou the assembly together, thou and Aaron thy brother, and speak ye unto the rock before their eyes. I would like to imagine this is God's tone here. Just giving the context and giving what God's going to say later. Moses approaches the people and says this. Hear now, ye rebels. Must we fetch you water out of this rock? It's a different tone, right? And Moses lifted up his hand. And with his rod, he smote the rock twice. And the water came out abundantly in the congregation drink. And their beasts also. Verse 12. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron. Because you believed me not to sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this congregation into the land which I have given them. Moses, Aaron, you're not going in. That's pretty heavy. These dudes have been slaving with these people for years. Why aren't they going in? This doesn't seem fair. Number one, they disobeyed God. They disobeyed God. And there are always consequences to disobeying God. Always. Number two, 
They misrepresented God before the people. They misrepresented him. He said, you failed to sanctify him in the eyes of the people. He said, you, you, made, you, 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 put, you, you put on a tone, Moses, that I didn't have. You made me seem angry, Moses, and I wasn't. Well, did you see God's anger here? I didn't see God's anger here. They misrepresented him. And for this reason, for this reason, Moses and Aaron will not be going into the land. Now, does the prayer make a little more sense? Oh, Lord, please let me go in. Please. You're gracious, you're merciful. Please, God, let me go in. And here's God's reply in Deuteronomy 3.26. But the Lord was wroth with me for your sakes and would not hear me. And the Lord said unto me, let it suffice thee. Speak no more unto me of this. Moses, you're not going in, and don't ask me about it again. We've all been kids of our parents, true? Isn't that the most, like, knell in the coffin statement? Don't ask me this again. Isn't it true that our past sin can haunt us, whether that is through ongoing consequences or painful reminders like right here in Deuteronomy chapter 3. I remember calling 911 at a family dollar when I was 7, 8, 9, somewhere in that age. My grand owned a cafe in a small town of Slayton, Texas. And they were building a brand new family dollar right next to this cafe. And I had a buddy of mine that was with me while we were hanging out at the cafe. That's what grandkids do. They go hang out with their grandparents while they work at their cafe. And we went over and we, we got on the payphone. Do you remember payphones? Is there even a payphone in Liberal anymore? There was a payphone at this family dollar. We had no idea it was operable. We got on the payphone and we dialed nine. One, one. And we hung it up immediately and, and we just kind of hung around. And before you know it, within, I'm, if I'm lying, I'm dying. Within two minutes, a cop car pulls up on the scene, treating us like we just set the place on fire, you know. I'm like, dude, we're nine years old. We dialed 911. Get over it. He wasn't getting over it. Scared us half to death. We snuck back over to the cafe and, and went to the big walk-in freezer and we just hid there. We stayed there for like 30 minutes until the coast was clear. Come out of the freezer. Where y'all been? Oh, we just been in the freezer. Been in the freezer. Been hanging out in the freezer. You know, I, I didn't tell my mom that story for like eight years. I, I think when I was like a senior in high school, like, by the way, mom, I, I, dialed none, I dialed 911. I did. I did that. But man, I, every time we drove by that stupid family dollar, I always saw that payphone. And I was always reminded of that stupid mistake. Not just being approached by a cop and being scared to death as a nine-year-old, but just the embarrassment. Like, what were people passing by thinking? Then there's some more serious sins. I remember as a high school student, I'm just telling on myself tonight, as a high school student, I, uh, I purchased a pair of Nike training shoes. On my grandpa's credit card without his permission. 
And I was at baseball practice one day, and I was catching fly balls, and I was just walking around the field. I, I don't even know what we were doing. And I was wearing these new shoes. I had a brand new Nike jumpsuit. I am looking like a Division I college baseball player out there. I'm a junior in high school. And the whole time I'm walking around with these shoes, my first thought was, number one, man, these are not the size that I thought they were going to be. These are killing my feet. But the second thing was, man, my conscience was being eaten alive. So I'm having this inward war. Am I going to tell my grandpa or not? And if I'm lying, I'm dying again. That very day, within 20 minutes of this all going on at baseball practice, I get a phone call. My phone's buzzing in my pocket. I know who it is. It's my grandpa. I'm like, oh my word, he knows. I answer the phone, and sure enough, he knows. What's the point? Mercy, that was 11, 12 years ago. And I'm still reminded of that stupid decision that I made to buy shoes without my grandpa's permission. To this day, I'm 20, I'm a grown man, I've got kids of my own. And to this day, I am reminded of that dumb decision and several other dumb decisions since. What is it for you tonight? Could it be that there is damage that you've caused by your own sinful habits? Whether that's time missed with family or perhaps the consequence of losing a job. And from time to time, you run into people that you would do those things with and your past is thrown right back in your face. You can't escape it. The consequences are always there. The reminders of that lifestyle or that choice is there with you. Maybe you've wronged a church member in the past or you've wronged a family member or you've wronged a friend. You've stabbed them in the back. And, and though you felt awful about it and though you've confessed your sin to God about it and you have tried to make amends every time you see that person, it pops right back into your mind. You're reminded of sinful past or a past decision in your life that was sinful. It could be that you used to struggle with anger. And your anger produced some really dark days in your marriage. And your kids were the object of your anger at times. And, and now you're even starting to see it in them and how they respond to situations. So though you may be over the anger, you see it in your kids. And you're constantly reminded of how you lived in their sight. I'm just telling you right now, I can go down a large list of sin that we've committed in our lives. And here's the truth about it, church. You know it and I know it. There are painful consequences and reminders all around us about things that we did against people and against God in our past. Is that not true? It absolutely is. I hate that that's the case. But it's the truth. But my purpose here tonight is not to throw your sinful past in your face. No, rather, I'm going to throw Jesus in your face. Because here's the second movement of the text. If your past sin is under the blood of Jesus, nothing can keep you out of God's kingdom that is promised to all of his children. Nothing. Oh, oh, Moses, Moses is kept out of the promised land because of past sin. Well, let me reiterate what I just said. If your past sin is under the blood, you're safe to go in. That's encouraging to me. Look at Deuteronomy 27. Or 327, rather. 327. It says this. God speaking to Moses. 
He said, get thee up into the top of Pisgah and and lift up thine eyes westward and northward and southward and eastward and behold it with thine eyes. For thou shalt not go over this Jordan. You say, wait a minute, that's discouraging. That's discouraging. We just read he's not going to go into the land. So God's going to tease him with the land. No, 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 no. No, I don't see it like that. This is God's grace. No, he's not saying, go up to the mountain. I want you to see, Moses, all that you're missing out on. No, he's saying, Moses, I'm not going to let you go into the land, but I'm going to let you see the land. God didn't have to do that for him. God didn't have to allow him to go up on that mountain and see the the, the promised land that he's been looking for for the past 80 years. No, it was God's grace in Moses' life that let him go up and just even take a glance at it. That's encouraging to me. That's all for Moses for now. Let's jump into some application. You want to do that? Application number one. Past sin. Past sin. Won't stop God's will from being accomplished in your life. Can you prove that? Absolutely I can. Matthew chapter number six, verses nine through twelve. If you know your Bible, you know that is around the area of the Lord's Prayer. Or rather the disciples' prayer. The the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. It goes like this. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And here's key. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Wait a minute. You're telling me that in the same prayer, we can pray for God's will to be done in our life. And we can also pray for God to forgive us of our sin. In the same prayer. Do you know what that tells me? That tells me that our past sin, or present sin, or future sin, will not keep God from performing His perfect will in your life and my life. I'm just assuming that if God's going to say, pray, your will be done, I'm assuming that he wants to answer that prayer by doing his will. True? And then in the same prayer, a few lines later, he says, confess your sins. And then pray for this. Pray for God's protection to not let you sin anymore. Or to not go down a sinful path. Or to not be presented by with sin from the evil one. You see, just because Moses sinned and couldn't go in, That didn't mean that God didn't still have a job for him to do, did it? No, Moses still had a job. He had a Joshua to train up. He had to get Joshua ready. He had to get those people ready until the day they went in. Moses slave at getting those people ready to go in. And then he handed the reins off to Joshua. You see, what Moses did back in Numbers 20, it did not stop God from allowing Moses to train Joshua right all the book of Deuteronomy, did it? No, God still had a purpose for Moses' life. You can go down all of the biblical accounts. You look at the life of David, who messed up severely, didn't he? Did God's will stop in David's life? No. Not at all. What about the life of Jonah, the running preacher, who literally told God no to the face? Was God's will for Jonah's life done just because he disobeyed? No, we could go on to the New Testament, the life of Peter and the life of Paul. Paul was literally going after Christians to kill them. And God said, I'm going to take you from being a murderer and I'm going to make you the greatest witness of Christ this world's ever seen. 
Oh, friend, don't ever think for a second that your past sin can stop God from doing His present will in your life. Number two, and this is my favorite. Your past sin won't keep you from entering God's kingdom blamelessly. Do you believe that? Do you believe right now that you are going to enter God's kingdom when you die or when he returns blamelessly? Like blamelessly. Like entering the kingdom as if Jesus entered the kingdom. Blameless. Without sin, without fault, holy, pure, righteous, no sin on your account. Do you believe that about yourself? How is this possible? Well, if you're in the Bible reading plan, you've been in the book of Romans. Where Romans 5, 1 says, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. How is it possible with... How is it possible for people with sinful baggage to enter into God's kingdom blamelessly? Jesus. Romans 5, 7, 8 says, For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man. Some would even dare to die, but God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I've been preaching this to the teens lately. You see, people will die for a good person. People will die for a righteous person. But we don't die for scum of the earth people, do we? No. But Christ did. Christ did. Christ didn't die for good people. Christ didn't die for righteous people. Christ died for the ungodly, for the wicked, for the sinful, for the enemies of God. That's who he died for. So, how do people with sinful baggage enter into God's kingdom blamelessly? Christ died for them. Romans 7, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Good question. He answers his own question, says, I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation. To who? To them which are in Christ Jesus, sinful baggage or not. Which is nobody, right? In Romans 8, 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Could I add this? He goes on in that section of Romans 8, 35. He says, who's going to separate us? Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword. Then he says, for I am persuaded neither life nor death or death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. Can I just add this? Your sinful past cannot separate you from the love of God which you have in Christ Jesus. I love this truth. I love that I forever have union with God. Christ. What's his is mine. How God sees him is how God sees me. Sinful past and all. As a family, right now we're leading, or we're reading rather, the Little Pilgrim's Progress. 
You've probably heard of the Pilgrim's Progress. We're reading the Little Pilgrim's Progress, where it, it substitutes people for furry animals. And it's cute, but it's good. And, 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 and we've enjoyed it. Every night, Teller asks, are we going to read Celestial City? Because that's where Christian's going, right? He's going to the Celestial City. So Teller asks, are we going to read the Celestial City tonight? And, 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 and most nights we're good. Some nights we don't. But when little Christian, who happens to be a little fuzzy rabbit, he's a, he's a rabbit, right? Or is he a bunny? Is there a difference? There's a difference, isn't there? Is he a bunny even? What is he? Rabbit. He's just a little rabbit. And he is going through dark valleys. He's, he's facing fear. He's facing warriors. He's facing all sorts of things on the way to the celestial city. He's just a little rabbit. Just a little rabbit. He's got some armor on. He's got the book of the king. He's, 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 he's plated up. His armor is a little bit too big for him. But he's on his way. Now, do you think when he gets to the celestial city, they're going to ask him at the gates, Hello, young rabbit. Why should we let you in? He's going to say, Well, look at the size of me. Look at my armor. I mean, I, I made it here myself. Is that going to be little Christian's attitude? No. He's going to say, you should let me in because the king's son took my burden away when I looked to him at the cross. That's what guarantees. No matter what Christian did in the city of destruction, what guarantees his entrance into the celestial city with the king and his son is what the son did for little Christian on the cross. That's a beautiful picture. Your sinful past cannot stop you from entering God's kingdom blamelessly because of Jesus Christ. Let's conclude. We're going to go back to Moses. Can you imagine the trip up the mountain? You just got shot down. You just got told, don't bring this up to me again. Moses, there's a little bit of excitement as you walk up the mountain. You're also kind of dreading it. Can you imagine Moses lingering at the top of that mountain, just looking around at everything around him, east, north, west, south, and he's taking everything in that God is leading his people to. Can you imagine Moses going down that mountain? The feelings of joy of getting to see the land mixed with the pain of not getting to go into the land. You should put yourself in, in some of these people's shoes in the Bible. Feel what they felt. If you do that with Moses, you'll think, ah, kind of leaves a bitter taste in your mouth. But here's the truth for you and me. When you are one in Christ, you won't just get to see the kingdom of God that he's promised you. You'll get to go in and enjoy him forever. Would you stand with me?